0: Standing at the front door of the restaurant, and this dude walks up to me. It's Muhammad Ali. And he says, You got a burger on the menu? And I go, You got a reservation? And he goes, ha, 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 ha. And he takes his wrist like this and does a fake punch at me in my chest. And I'm like, Oh my God, Muhammad Ali just threw a punch at me in my smart ass.
1: Welcome back to Connection Request. I'm Joel Lehman. Today on the show, I'm talking to Tim Niver, the restaurateur behind beloved Minnesota restaurants Mucci's Italian and St. Dinette, owner of Mucci's Frozen Food, and host of Niver Niver Niverland, a podcast about the changing restaurant industry. Tim has worked in restaurants for a long time, working here in Minnesota, as well as New York, Colorado, and a stint in Las Vegas opening up the Bellagio and I've long been a fan of Tim's as we talk about in the episode. I especially appreciate how open he is about the ups and downs of his industry through his podcasts and social media and interviews he does. You know, he displays that openness and vulnerability in our conversation as we talk about what success looks like in his field, what he's learned from going through the pandemic and how the restaurant industry is still changing dramatically today. We also talk about his multiple business and creative adventures, going toe-to-toe with Muhammad Ali, and his dream guest for Niver Niver We'll get to my conversation with Tim in just a minute, but first, a quick word from our sponsor, SK Coffee. This season, we are thrilled to be sponsored by SK Coffee, a specialty coffee roaster based in Minnesota, shipping worldwide. Listeners of the show will remember Sam from season one, where he shared his journey from musician to entrepreneur. We'll hear more from Sam later in the episode.
0: I'm Tim Nyberg, and I've professionally been in the restaurant industry for lots of years. I'm Happily married, and my partner works with me in the business, runs the business. Uh, I have two lovely children one who's 16, and a junior in high school. And that's an interesting time of life. It's really cool to see him where he's at. And then my daughter is now out of college and teaching, she's a second grade teacher. And I'm very fulfilled by where my family is right now and what we're trying to do and what I see the kids growing into. And work-wise, I've just been doing the restaurant thing for a long time and I'm still in it and I'm active in it and I'm busy. I'm happy. Feels good right now. For those maybe who
1: don't have the pleasure of knowing Tim a little bit like I do or at least some of the wonderful restaurant experiences he's created... You're a star in the restaurant world in Minnesota,
0: <laughs> at least, and maybe
1: well beyond. You can correct directly than that. But I guess one I thing
0: I want to... Allow me to. You're I, not going
1: you know, to let that go?
0: No, you said I. you can correct that, and I feel like it should be corrected. I don't see myself as a star in the restaurant industry. I'm. I've been very lucky to... Roll with i'm in this industry but i've been very lucky to roll with what the times gave me there is some excellent timing and wonderful people that that i've worked with and so star you know i I know i know some stars but i while i appreciate that and i know what i've got into this industry but i'm not a star i might still be working on that
1: okay we'll unpack that that actually leads me to one of the first things i want to talk to you about which is The idea of success, I've spent the past few days researching you and reading old interviews that you've done over the years and listening to your great podcast, which we'll talk about later. And by my eyes, as somebody not in your industry, admittedly, it seems you've had a really immense and, and, and storied career in the food scene. You've worked with some really amazing people you have owned and run. Beloved restaurants in this community. you've won awards, you've had really glowing press, you've had interesting profiles. You have started your own podcast, and, and people are not only listening to it, but they come and see you in a live show. But in the first episode of your podcast, Niver Niverland," with your friend Stephanie March, talked about success, and you said, "I don't feel successful." And so I guess my question to you is, are you successful? And if not, what does sort of that even
0: word mean to you? I'm successful now. When we started the podcast, we were so very much in that feeling, feeling coming out of COVID and questions were looming, uh, pretty large. And I went on a big search part of it being with the podcast for myself. And to, to remain relevant and to be in the the public eye while talking about restaurant stuff. Okay. And through the last year and a half, potentially two of opening myself up, and reconsidering where I am today, I can say that I've, this is, this is success. I feel safe saying it. I've explored what I've done enough. I've, and I've ignored what I've done enough to get to this place you Success uh, for me can't be measured by the money that I thought I was going to make because I think that used to be the drive, and then we got through these last couple of years, which were really trying. I did lose a restaurant um, It's not a failure there, it was a success just to keep that going yeah so so I'd say that I've done the work for myself on myself and inside myself, plus I've come out of the clouds a little bit. And I really feel I've been able to see clearly where I am and that I don't need to do anything else to be successful. I am successful. I feel really good about that. Yeah. I'm, I have as much comfort in in myself as I've had in a long time. And I, and and really to what we're starting over, we're starting over from scratch, our industry was in such tumult. Really, before we went into COVID, we had a lot of, a lot of big things changing and payroll changes with increased minimum wages in St. Paul and Minneapolis, and the murder of George Floyd and COVID. And obviously, there was even before that we had changes we needed to consider. And then on top of that, other stuff happened. So right. I think the industry is really still acclimating to what it's going to be like now. Yeah. But I feel successful, and I feel re- feel really good about that. I feel I feel at home, yeah, there. And I it was for me; it wasn't anybody else's kind of yeah. determination of that. If it right. really, because you people could say you're good, or this is so good, or the, yeah. but But we internalize that too much. Uh, that can go wrong for you. And our well, business is somewhat built on humility. And my from the front of the house scenario, the way I see it. Humility is um, really important. That boastful, I'd rather be busting your chops about something and have an attitude that way than be talking about what I've done, right? And tomorrow is another day in our industry that we just don't know what's going to happen. It feels like there's less knowledge about what's coming down the pike. Yeah, And I think that that leads to that excitement and also to the generation of risk and anxiety and whatever else you feel when you're looking at what you do in the restaurant industry.
1: Let me just say that is really beautiful. And you've already brought up a lot of the themes I want to get into with you. But let's talk about a different kind of success, which is, it might be small, but I need to disclose now that Moochies, the restaurant that you run, one of the restaurants that you run, is my favorite restaurant. And a big part of why I wanted to have you on the show. And Mm -hmm. if you'll indulge me in letting you tell you a small story about the main reason it's my favorite restaurant. Is that the first couple times my wife and I went there, we checked it out. I'm like, this is great. This is a lovely place. And we had this server there and he was super nice. And just so warm and welcoming and religious made you feel like you were important and, and whatever. And the food is amazing. That is obviously a big part of why it's so good. But I like went back a couple of times. This same guy happened to be at my server again. It just like really made us feel at home. Then a few months later, I was reading an article and I found out that guy was you, the owner of the restaurant. And that just blew my mind that here, this guy who was our server and made us feel so warm and welcome and just left a really positive mark on us, happened to be the guy who owns the thing. And I know that for you, something you talk about a lot is that service is really important to you. And that to this day, you continue to be on the floor and doing a variety of different roles, not just sitting in a back office somewhere, scheming up your next business venture. We talk a little bit about like why is that important to you and how does that fit into sort of the rest of the aspects that sort of people maybe do think about in the food business?
0: Hmm. You know, we, we, we opened a small restaurant and oftentimes when you do that, uh, you end up being the one working in it. Um, it's an intimate scenario. Uh, half of the year, the restaurant's 44 seats. Moochies is my mother's maiden name. So it carries with it a level of respect Mm. that I carry with me. It's just the family part of it, how the food made me feel when I was growing up, that it culturally is important to me, that it's a connection to my heritage, which got washed a bit away as immigrants were trying to be assimilated into speaking English. We lost, you know, the Italian language in our home early before it got to me. So these are things, moochies in the way we serve and the reason that I'm on the floor is number one, because it's very necessary for the owner to be attached to something so small, unless, unless they really don't want to do anything, but it doesn't generate enough to feed investors so it's a personal intimate experience but on the other side i i decided a long time ago that i was going to be doing this for a long time and my connection to it and my level of connection to it has kept it good it's kept it at my level of standard and execution and restaurants good restaurants have these waves and staff changes and a mood changes or people get into a rut and, or, or whatever, and you just have to go with it. Yeah. And I just feel like we've been able to really be buoyant, culinarily, creatively on top of having love for what we do and love as the essence of what we do. That's really why I'm there. I started serving to as a living, like to make money. Yeah. It's a person. And, and I realized um, that it's a really valuable career. It's not, oh. say, teaching, but anywhere you go, like a teacher, you could be employed. You have a skill that is a oh. skill. Um, and And now, to me, it's a craft that I own. And very few people have seen the different levels of my craft that I have. And I'm the older guy now. And... I think it comes out still. There's some still classic feel, some holiness when you walk in. She's, hey man, service is really hard too. I don't always want to be doing it. I always have to be on. Yeah. I always have to have to refer to my matters. Yeah. Often when I'm thinking not to. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you know, totally. you can't say everything you're thinking, but I yeah. often, I often do. I often do. Yeah. And it's good to have self. Awareness between you and your guests
1: yeah, you make it look easy and and genuinely I think I just I share that story because I think it is reflective of you and also yeah, it just there's a lot of ways that I can see and I think others can see the way that you lead but also through service, which I think is really cool
0: It's really cool Thank Tim, you I love let, it
1: yeah, let's go back in time a little bit. You worked at McDonald's when you were 15. Mm -hmm. and that I think at least is part of what you've talked about previously as being your first kind of exposure to the world of service and food um I'm curious about Tim back at that time of life and then if I were to wrap a, a few more years onto there you did go to college and you got what I believe you've referred to as a real job and that didn't last very long tell me about Tim, in those years, this is a show about sort of career journeys, right? What yep. were your ambitions and hopes and dreams and thoughts about career? And what did you originally set out to do in those
0: younger years of your life? Sure. Studied in Spain. I was over there. This was 92 during the Olympics, during the World's Fair, during oh. some like, amazing, it was an amazing year to be there. I picked up Spanish as a language and I came home from school. And I was uh, substitute teaching and I went and I lived with my parents for a minute, but I went up to Albany, got a job with a multi-level marketing company in their corporate office. All my buddies had fled out to Colorado. So I was working in an office trying to get people to continue their memberships, not really understanding what was happening. And I thought I was going to find something more, say international business i was thinking about being in new york but it was a little busy you know get, getting back from school and kind of wanting to go right to the grind yeah i followed i followed my friends out to colorado with my serving skills and i worked at the High regency at beaver creek huh. and at, at the base of the mountain i didn't know a ski bump thing but i really i worked i had a guy there a mentor named graziano Bucci. graziano buzzi was the kind of guy He would meet the the movie star at the front door, get them seated, take their order, go back, spit it at the cook, go back to the table, schmooze him again, go back, grab the. He could really do everything and just finesse all the things. So that was actually super foundational to me wanting to take care of people because he just everybody just smiled back at him. Uh, From that, uh, I I met my life partner in Colorado. And then a short time after that, I I knew I had to make the switch between being a server and a manager. So when I moved here chasing my wife, I got a management job at Pronto. And that was like a real scenario where I was actually learning and being trained to be a manager and to fulfill the other side of the skill like the technical end, the number and the management end, the working with people and the inventory and purchasing end, and so I did a lot of. That was a parasolly owned restaurant, by the way, and so I did a lot of foundational work there. Then from there, this is when Bucca de Beppo was rolling out. I got offered a job to be a paisano, which is a part. A term they it's certainly used for partner. Huh. And which we turned down and looking back, that was a great opportunity, but we decided to go to New York, we went to New York. I beat the street in a couple of bad suits and landed a job with a New York restaurant group through a connection I had. And I worked at a couple of places there. Sate Smith Malinsky is a famous steakhouse. I worked there on another place called Maloney and Porcelli. And in New York, I learned swagger. I learned huh. how to be strong not take the crap how to use that strength and smartness and quickness to your benefit to keep people doing what you need them to do as you're trying to fill in the puzzle of what it is to fill up a restaurant and then fill it up again and have it seem flowing but also we got to hit this thing like and make sure you are xxx and so i learned a lot of that there and that toughens me up And then I met a guy, a chef named Sam DeMarco, and he owned a place on First and First in the Lower East Side. And it was a hot little spot. And he's a hot little <laughs> Italian, like spunky. <laughs> uh, and he, we noticed each other, and one night is in there eating a tasting menu with my wife and steve wynn that owned all the casinos out in vegas was there and sam was out running around he's from brooklyn he's like, right i'm busy i'm busy but here eat this anyway he got picked up by steve wynn to go open up the bellagio and have a restaurant in the bellagio yeah and then my friend sam chose me to go out to vegas with him to open the bellagio and that taught me class and also <laughs> it was cutthroat it's all risk reward there. Hmm. But there's a lot of a level of class with which you can exert on even being tough. Huh? Yeah. So I learned a lot of finesse there, yeah. a lot of street cred, even more than New York a little bit. Yeah. people are shiftier, but with their words and their actions, always something to gain. Yeah, so you're always on the lookout there, but it was really good.
1: Throughout that time, you have painted a picture of evolution from server to management to, like, yeah. opening up places and that kind of stuff. I'm curious, how much of your career at that point felt planned and intentional, as opposed to following opportunities and connections where they led you? Um,
0: that was the plan. That was the plan. Following the connections <laughs> and like opportunities... That, that, that. That was the plan moving to New York puts you in the center of the restaurant universe in a lot of ways, you make connections and it's almost going to Penn state, right? You know, that when you put that on your resume, that people know where you've been. So if you were working in New York and you work at a reputable place in New York, it's undoubtedly somewhat similar that they say this dude works at 49th and third. Yeah. All the power brokers were there all yeah. the superstars were there yeah classic haunt. so yeah that was part of the plan and i worked into it i actually yeah. got to work there because of a fire in another restaurant yeah so they moved you never know how it goes but yeah, yeah incomparable experience taking the chance yeah. to make a move and not be you can be scared or have fear or whatever of it but to to, to go and really take a bite out of the big apple
1: so let's fast forward now a little bit. And I'm sorry to be jumping you all around, but um, <laughs> that's just the nature of the beast today. Uh, sure and I think I really came on to you and learned a lot more about you, Tim Niver, throughout the pandemic because, well, lots of reasons that we'll get into, including you started the podcast, but you just were really open about your journey and your restaurant's journey going through that time. And I think you, you were sort of intentional about. Trying to share as much of the experience, I imagine, both with the industry as well as your patrons, right? So that people knew what was going on and could figure out ways to support you. I I went back and, and read some different press that you gave during the time. And a couple of things that struck me is just how, first of all, what a crazy time that was for everyone. But I think it probably felt different to you in a way because your entire industry was being grown for a crazy loop. I'm just curious now with the benefit of hindsight and without us spending too much time talking about the pandemic, w- like what do you feel like you learned through that time period of your life?
0: So much. It was invaluable. We pressed stop in some aspects on things. Um, and, it, and it did take me to a very low point. I'm self-diagnosed as... <laughs> Is being depressed literally for a couple of months, and I felt it uh, coming through it all. I think because it because you're sad or because it hurts, so you don't know what to do. I was able to seek, even in my kind of darker moments, an angle on change and an angle on progression and an angle on just finding a creative way to keep going, keep pushing, yeah, and be and. I always have said to my managers, I want to share every little bit of my feeling with feelings with you about business, because if I don't, I think I'm cheating you on the real intensity, the Hmm. thing you don't think you'll have to think about. And I think it's vital that you share very specific feelings and those moments with people, financial and otherwise. Yeah. They don't have to carry them with them. And, and giving sense of, uh, people a sense of ownership is telling them what it feels like, whether it's good or bad or the other thing. Yeah. The restaurant culture in a little bit of Minnesota, I find that that humility often leads, uh, that, that some of us lead with often leads to quietness when there's troubles. Oh. And so oh. I did not turn to quietness when there was trouble. I... I brought my voice to it and my feelings to it. I had some, I had a solo episode where I just talked about what COVID felt like. This is what it is. This is how hard it is. And we need help. And I have never, I am not used to asking for help. Hmm. So there is, because you don't ever want to admit as a restaurant that it could be failing, that it's getting slower or whatever, because a slow restaurant feels like it's a slow restaurant. And People can just grasp under that energy and say, wow, that place is slow. And then then there's real things that happen, Joel. Real things. Eight years ago, Lower Town had retirees all over these buildings. Retirees yeah. looking at Lower Town as a place to invest. It was gentrifying for lack of a better word. It was finding its own later in life personality, like the people yeah. that lived in the building. And then during COVID, had, nobody wanted to be stuck in the city it felt very enclosed Hmm. and the entire lower town set of tenants flipped and we literally don't have the same people living there anymore Hmm. and they can't afford i I love who lives there but they can't afford to eat at my restaurant. yeah yeah but there's so many factors as to how and why restaurants are successful but yeah downtowns are the islands right now. Suburbs are busier. People are finding security closer to home. You know, hey, man. Aww. So I felt like, why the hell wouldn't I share my feeling on this? Other than the fact that when I do, I feel weird being vulnerable to it. But hell, yeah. if somebody doesn't know what's going on, generally in the industry, or more so if they feel alone, if another operator feels alone, yeah, in the sense that this is really freaking hard, yeah, come on, don't feel alone in it. And I think some of my words will connect to certain people at certain times. Like I was on my journey through here. I was I put everything on the table, man. Everything. Yeah. If I had ten baskets, I had to whittle them down to three and I'm focusing on three, and the rest is superfluous. Superfluous. So I had I got a different perspective and yeah. that allowed me to to feel my own success. That allowed me to fuel. The fact that I understand I'll be working in my restaurant as long as it'll carry me.
1: Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. Wow. I just got to say, I there's a lot of things I admire the heck out of you for, but I think <laughs> it takes a lot to be vulnerable and open. And I felt like, again, reading through press from the past couple of decades, it seems like in a lot of ways you have, done that for a long time in different ways whether it's through social media or it's just like being incredibly open with your staff or it's being open in interviews but it yeah i think you have probably took that to a new level during the pandemic which i just i admire i don't think enough people in leadership positions do that so it's hard leadership is yeah. hard
0: and it's not necessarily everything everybody wants to hear yeah. When you you know, never want to seem like a griper from our perspective. We're here to serve. You don't want to hear us, you know, still understanding what the detritus of COVID is. Hey man, COVID is still affecting us. Yeah. You know, at work. Uh, yeah. It's not really gone, man. But people what changed the most wasn't us. People changed the most. Hmm. That we are basically the same. Hmm. But people change the most. Hmm. We're readapting to and, and re inviting and reconnecting with yeah. folks who've changed yeah. dramatically. Yeah. So you have to look at that and understand it yeah. and not be offended by it.
1: Speaking of change, as you alluded to in the opening, you had to close a restaurant during the pandemic, and you, over your career, have been a part of. A lot of restaurant openings and you've been a part of some restaurant closings including of projects that were really loved and successful and all that i'm just like how does that feel as a business owner an entrepreneur and a person who employs people how does that feel to be a part of both of those highs and low, and maybe lows i assume i'm projecting and i don't know do you get better at that do you, what have you learned through that process of going through really big things like that
0: Mm -hmm. i think for a long time when it's hardest you really have the situation up in the pressure on things if it takes a lot to get me back up to the ceiling now of where the stress was Hmm. you you know i'm here and i've seen what's in between so this all feels like experience yeah and a little more comfort with the absolute degree of insanity of things that we just went through over the last four years like okay you know what else is there yeah i feel like handling that has been a it's helpful now and i just don't put as much stress on the little things i I really don't like the details matter so much but putting stress on them it, it it doesn't it's not important
1: There's a lot to love about SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor for Connection Request. Every time I talk to SK's founder, Sam Chelberg, I'm fascinated to learn more about what makes their coffee so special and why people are so drawn to them. Here's Sam. We're not a company that you're going to get the exact same thing over and over again. It's always going to be an exploration. This is literally an agricultural product and every year it's different. So... It's like wine in that way. But something even more special than the coffee itself has always stood out to me. It's the entire SK team's passion. They treat their work like a real art form, and each of them care deeply about coffee's people, place, and process. Here's Sam again. The way we're trying to tell that story is not through, you know, interesting, crafted, cocktail coffee drinks, right? It's all, what is the coffee trying to say? what is the producer the place the plant itself trying to say the process and we are literally translating that communication from the raw product into your cup to learn more about sk coffee visit skcoffeeplease.com or check out their excellent instagram page if you live in minnesota stop into one of their cafes in st paul or minneapolis you might even spot me there all those links are in the show notes okay now back to the show Let's talk about Niver and Iverland a little bit. So you mentioned that you started that project, I think in part as a way to just express yourself and communicate with what was going on and talk with other people in the restaurant industry. But yeah, tell me a little bit more, like when you're going through what you describe as a really rough time, it's not everyone's idea to start a podcast. Tell me a little bit more about like why you did that. (laughs) And let me say for anyone listening to this, I know absolutely nothing about the restaurant industry, but I listen and I find out lots and I think it's really interesting and you have on great guests and great conversations. So regardless of who you are and your affinity, you should listen to it. But yeah, tell me a little bit about that project and why it started and what it is now.
0: Yeah. There is a quest for relevancy when it's really hard to find a channel to people where they can relate to you. They're going out last. I needed to relate and see my guests in another way without it being at the table that I thought could be inviting and promote the restaurants and also parts of the industry and myself. And it really started as a way to be in the picture with other prominent folks and continue like a path of relevancy, really keeping yourself connected to others that are important. Yeah. It turned into me having that, but also an expression became more of an expression of myself. It, it, it's, it's, a it's another story to tell. It's a collection of stories, and moments, and it's, and it contains the journey of a big part of my recent life in it and how my philosophies are now. So it started out maybe less, maybe more towards trying to be a promotional thing. Yeah. But it's turned into a self soothe and expression without the risk of having some financial mm. fallout where I can be myself and have that moment on a mic and share a moment with a person, share things that have been hard with other people, and just bring a little bit more up here. Yeah. I feel like in general, people are just started. Yeah, and I am afraid of cancel, and I am afraid of cancel culture, and I am afraid of saying the wrong thing at the same time. Damn, if you are not saying anything at all, what are you? Yeah, it just doesn't, I don't see the point. Yeah, I don't see the point in in taking a chance and saying something wrong while you are trying to say something. Yeah, instead it... of instead saying nothing. Yeah, so it really has evolved into a whole bunch of things that have filled me up. Yeah, in a similar way that hospitality stuff does. Yeah, and I like. I don't like. I I, I say this all the time. I don't want to be sounding like the complaint, but I do tell it like it is, and that's not always what people want to hear. Yeah, I'm treading a line, yeah. but I also think business owners need to be a little bit more out there with, you know, what's happening in themselves and connect to their businesses personally, and yeah, not have it be some sort of shell company yeah <laughs> and those restaurants are good too but like an old bookstore i want to be able to you know keep that old book smell in that place i want to have it smell like the socks when you walk in and I, that's the kind of shop i got yeah so that's what i'm in for
1: and again for anyone who hasn't checked it out it, i gotta say it's, it's just it's so well done you've got a great an entire team behind it you've got a multi-cam setup you've got a just a great producer shout out to matt yeah. you've taken it on the road to milwaukee you've done live shit, right milwaukee, it's like yes it's like we
0: went live yo uh, these were all extremes again yes yeah. doing a live dinner service during that yeah podcast was so nerve-wracking really but it's so nerve-wracking too yeah. so there's four courses two items per plate so essentially it's an eight course menu <laughs> Uh, In four courses with beverage pairings in about a planned hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. While doing a live podcast, everything after I sit down is out of my control. Yeah. I trust the system. Yeah. It's still all nerve wracking, dude. So I am, even in my podcast, pushing it, making myself feel stressed and also the fulfillment of trying. Connections that I haven't made before. Yeah. It's very cool. And there's a bunch of white guys with podcasts, man. We know there's a bunch of white guys out there. White dudes, good on you, whatever. and It can't all be watched. <laughs> but it is important if you have an expression to get it out of you Yeah. One way or the other. I don't paint. Yeah. I don't paint.
1: <laughs> I like I don't paint. I have a podcast. you <laughs> should put that on a t-shirt. Uh what <laughs> Um, will there be more live shows? I, I I wish I would have gotten to it, but I didn't. But will there? You've done two now, one or two?
0: Two, okay. yeah. Jesse Pollock and my good friend Rob Jones over at Meteor Bar. We did a cocktail based one. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've yeah, there the there will be now. more. So, I'll, cool. I'll tell you, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to give people value and we undervalue in trying to give people value. Like I said, there was a $60 hour and 15 minute recording and everybody came in for that hour and a half or whatever, or two probably Yeah, and got well fed and all that. But there were hours and hours of stuff that I did before that and unpaid Yeah, because this is like a marketing budget for us. So I'm getting paid by my business by helping it we get people in there's a lot of effort and expense to make a quality production to put together a, a quality restaurant and then a show on top of it it's difficult yeah. i'll find a way to continue but as i do it's an expensive undertaking so yeah people are gonna have to come on the ride with me because i can't continue to do it for like free or pay a little bit like totally it's expensive
1: uh, but i love it i love yeah. it yeah i'm excited to to watch that Part of your journey unfold. And yeah. And I don't know what's next
0: there. Yeah. They don't. You're great it's at coming. It. So, thanks. Maybe thanks.
1: if the restaurants ever don't work out, just flip the podcasting. You never know. I I'll would
0: love it. a part of the dream, really, one of the baskets that I chose for myself. Yeah. I have my restaurants, right? I have uh, my frozen food line. Yeah. Which is a different avenue, a different chase, a different gig and job and life altogether. Yeah. And then I have my my family and the importance there. And then I have a podcast. So like my buckets are like right here close to me and I get to do them what I want. It's really lovely. These are my toys. And it's been fun finding it though. yeah, it's fun.
1: I'm glad because I think we all need more fun in our lives. Tell me a little bit about the the frozen business. I've had the pizza. It's great. I see that there's lasagna out now. For those of you who at least live in this area, I don't know if you're national yet, go Buy it if you're looking for really good, high quality frozen food. But tell me about—I feel like a lot of people, especially like you, who really care about craft, maybe would never want to put their food that they spend so much time, effort, and love on in a restaurant to trust that it could live in that environment. So, like, how did that start, and how's it? I don't know. How's it going?
0: Transferring quality is a is a difficult task. Yeah. Primarily, we use the same ingredients as we do in the, at mochis in the lasagna that we make for frozen. Yeah. So for me, transferring that quality actually didn't become; it wasn't too difficult because I know it so well, and I were able to share hmm. our flavor tendencies with somebody and have a similar identification from a palate standpoint of this yeah. is right. Yeah. Now the business itself is, is just as hard as the restaurant business really to break into, to do volume, Hmm. started with pizzas, which you might think is easy, but I hand fry those myself, man. Every one of those crusts, 20,000 a year, I fry those myself. Wow. So, um, I'm really, it's about getting things out there and continuing to keep them out there, finding creative ways to have inventory. So you're not behind and not, have carrying costs. It's a whole new ballgame. The upside potential is there, too. Where I'm not really pursuing opening restaurants because I don't know where to find the margins. I don't have all. I have, the margins are set in the frozen kind of differently. But you're, you really need to have sales avenues. So the the trick is getting through the gatekeepers and finding those sales avenues. And that's the other part of my job now. So yeah. I find it challenging and quite exhilarating. and. That offers me some risk and some real potential should even one of the products break through.
1: Yeah. And so based on that, you're saying they have not broken through yet. Like, no, do you have targets in your mind of what that that would mean or look like?
0: Yeah. Okay. And again, I'm not trying to put my lasagna in every store. It doesn't work. It is a premium product. We Mm -hmm. don't scrimp on ingredients so it doesn't but it can't go in every store it just won't sell so yeah we are focused on natural food stores because the ingredients are appropriate we are focused on the kowalskis of the worlds that are really high-end store offering people with disposable income the opportunity to have a product that actually delivers quality and convenience yeah and this is my sales this is my sales pitch, it delivers quality and convenience. Cause I, I, I did a video that I saw that you saw, I did a video <laughs> for the brand. Yeah. And it, it was a time comparison between a time of price comparison between buying Moochie's frozen lasagna and bringing it home and having the, the quality time it takes to make a lasagna with good stuff. Then I, I provided that for people so they could really see it. In an hour, you have something that I, you know, my ma would be proud of we yeah. really be, we're proud of it right yeah you can make your own lasagna but it's going to cost you more money and take the time yeah yeah but i understand the value the real value in making the lasagna from scratch too so i don't lose the romance in this oh but i can supply you with a dinner that gets you really close man yeah. and and that's the idea so the same sense is there the same story is there yeah the packaging looks away and it's Slightly disruptive and slightly modern and slightly classic, like I see Italian design, and yeah. you know, and I'm really proud of it. And we could probably slide it into some under somebody's nose at the restaurant, and they and they wouldn't know. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Pretty close. Cool. Pretty pretty close.
1: As we've talked through this conversation, I knew about your many businesses, but man, between. Running restaurants, serving in those restaurants, having a frozen food business, having a podcast, spending time on Instagram, both promoting yourself and maybe doing other kinds of things. Like, how do you have the hours and spending time with your family? Like, how do you have the time in the day to do all that? And to come Mm -hmm. talk to me for an hour?
0: Yeah, my part of the way that I am feeling success is that I manage my own schedule for the most part meaning i do basic i'm not i'm i have a couple shifts at the restaurant where i'm tethered and i need to be there for those shifts but outside of those shifts during the day there are folks that assist me so much in the day-to-day operations that it does free me up to do these things and i accept the fact that i have a couple jobs going concurrently Yeah. I can't do them all to their fullest extent and so part of my having to stay chill is understanding that I do what I can do and and the process will remain slow because I can be comfortable in the process so if it grows it's going to grow because I have the time to be me to, to get outside and have nature fill me up to be on this room take pictures of my cats and have some chill time Mm. like whatever it is so i'm not i'm available every day but i don't do it all every day yeah i would say it is hard it is hard not to do something every day so something probably does happen every day Mm -hmm. work-wise but also there's this it's genetic in my we my mom has it and even my dad has it though he's we don't know what his heritage is right we don't know where he's from my mom's 100 percent italian and we have this slightly nervous energy and we just have to be doing things it's like a natural tempo yeah more than anything else Hmm. i like that
1: that makes sense
0: I do get pushed. I do get pushed. Get tired. I I gotta lay down.
1: Before we get to the sort of quick fire rounds, is there anything that I forgot to ask you about, or any wisdom that you would impart to me and our listeners today, Tim?
0: Yeah, I've, maybe just this part of what's part of what's helped me over the last few months is not only talking but listening. Mean it's a super powerful tool, quiet listening, intent, listening, really connecting with somebody is a thing that I see underutilized and I'm really trying to not only talk about stuff but to listen better and I'm not always patient in that, but i I really hope that we all find some more social equilibriums where we can all. Be freer and and hang out with each other, but also part of that is not saying it, but but taking it in. And I've been lucky enough to do that. It's part of the it's part of the deal when you do a podcast or when you own a restaurant. You really have to listen and see what what people need, and, and then it's easier to deliver. Yeah. So that quiet contemplation of what's happening around you is is something I think we all need to look at a little more.
1: Wise words.
0: You ready for a quick rapid fire
1: before we let you go? Yeah, please. Okay. Any crazy stories or celeb sightings from the Bellagio? I have to imagine some crazy things happened to you during that period of your life.
0: Okay, I'll do a few. All right. We're standing outside in the host position outside the restaurant at the Bellagio and there's a few main aisles right and they're meant to confuse you but there are ones bigger wider ones that are the the main aisles that lead you out of the casino and so I saw this larger round group of people moving in unison and this kind of around and all of a sudden that group gets within about 15 feet of me and I see someone dressed white cowboy hat white veil white outfit all the way to the toes it's michael jackson whoa and it was really rad okay another one it's a good one this one's probably even better
1: okay i'm ready
0: standing at the front door of the restaurant and this dude walks up to me it's muhammad ali and he says you got a burger on the menu. And I go, You got a reservation? And he goes, You go, I go, I think we know who you are, right? And he and I go, but if you don't have a reservation, man, I'm just not sure. And he takes his wrist like this and does a fake punch at me in my chest. And I'm like, oh my god, you just threw a punch at me in my smart ass. And I was like, that was the best thing. And then he took out he took out a, a pamphlet of the Koran and the benefits of the Koran, and he signed that and folded it up and stuck it in my pocket. And we went inside because we didn't really have the burger he wanted and ground up a steak for him and made it into a burger. And we fed Muhammad Ali a fresh ground strip steak burger. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Did that feel like yeah, an incredible I, I, day like, at work? Yeah, I pretended like I didn't. I didn't. It was an incredible day at work. I pretended like I didn't know who Muhammad Ali was. Yeah, I got no table for you. He threw a fake punch at me. I melted. It was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. If he had connected, I would have been down. I would have liked it probably. I think he should have really hit me. I think I would have. That would have wow. been amazing. You,
1: <laughs> I think forevermore, you, you should start your bio with nearly punched by Muhammad Ali, or something Almost. like that, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. pretty good. I'll toss you, I don't know if it's an easy one or not, Minneapolis or St. Paul?
0: I'm in St. Paul mostly now, and I live here. I really have a crush on this town for what it is, not what it isn't, and all due respect, I live here. I live that's, in St. Paul. That's
1: that's the right answer. There's enough Minneapolis. St. Thomas
0: is here, too. Like, love it. We, we all live here. Indeed. But you're welcome. Yeah, You're welcome to St. Paul. I want you in St. Paul. If I say St. Paul, I want it to be like, wait, it's same, come over. Same.
1: I'm with you. What's a favorite current <laughs> menu item from one of your restaurants?
0: This chicken dish at St. Dinette. It's a chasseur sauce, which is a mushroom hunter stew. It's got a bunch of olives in it. So it's got a little brininess and earthiness to it. There's a little fennel salad on top of the fried chicken breast, which is pounded thin. Payard style and then breaded with panko breadcrumbs. And that's just so it's that hunter's mushroom stew, the fried chicken breast, and then that fennel, crunchy fennel salad with a little vinaigrette on it right now. That to me is hitting so hard. Dinette is, I, I mentioned it on my Instagram feed today. Dinette is nine years old and I'm just as proud of it as I have been the whole time. Hmm. And It's really good right now, so I'd go there. Mm, I'd go there. Much is awesome, yeah. I dinette sometimes fills my soul. It's 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 cafe, but it's pretty, yeah. A, li- a little intention, a little yeah. you don't have to dress up to feel a little romance, yeah. A little attention, yeah. I
1: uh, anyway. that sounds amazing. I'm gonna bump it up my list to visit next. What's A restaurant in Minnesota or beyond that you wish you would have opened? Like another one, like somebody else's concept that you look at and you go, man, I wish I would have done that one.
0: Hmm. I've worked in numerous styles of restaurants. And the one that I really wanted to work didn't. And I would say it's still the one that I might chase after would be a big old deli type thing. I was going to um, say, I read press about and,
1: you where you said you were scouting locations in Minneapolis for a Jewish deli concept.
0: That's And we opened it as Maven before it flipped into Moochies. Uh, so I did get it open. Got it. But we never found level footing with an all-day concept in Uptown. We thought we could pull there. Um, and then we had a really hard winter, and it just was a really hard thing to fill. So, that one, in terms of what I want to eat, yeah, and what I tried to do, just didn't connect. But I have a, I really still adore, yeah. I might say, if I was going to do something, yeah, to knock that out of the water, those simple foods, a deli, it just feels like something deeper. The connection like cats has with people,
1: and finally for the rapids fire do you have any dream guests for niver niverland anyone who you like is on that vision board marcus samuelson guy you um, worked marcus with a number of years ago yeah
0: you know he's an international star i worked with him for three years you can't but that was 20 years ago and i hang on to that he's a hero i hang on to that like i hang on to myself being italian he those times in my life like That I got to travel with him, what he did for me in terms of leveling me up and pushing me, that's a guy, that's a guy I have a lot to thank for, and that's a guy that really pushed me as much as anybody else to understand excellence and drive and being multifaceted and curious and even silly.
1: Yeah, we will look out for that episode to come. I'm just going to
0: manifest it for you. I'm sure it will. Thank you. Um, I haven't asked officially. Tim
1: Niver yeah. of Moochies and St. Dinette and Moochies Frozen Pizzas and Niver and Iverland, an excellent podcast that all my listeners should go check out. I just got to say, I admire the heck out of you. I think your restaurants are amazing. Your podcast is great. You have... You've just really given me an interesting window, I think, to the world in which you live in and operate in. And also, many of my special celebrations and occasions have been celebrated at at one or multiple of your restaurants. I was just there last night for my wife's birthday. Thank you for being you. And equally as importantly, thanks for um, spending some time with us today on Connection Request. I really appreciate you.
0: I really appreciate it, too. Thanks for inviting me on and having me.
1: that is it for today's episode of connection request if you enjoyed today's episode would you make sure you're following us it'd mean a lot today's show is produced by marie ayanozzo and me joel lehman our theme music is by the amazing mike lauer and his band viewers like you it's from their album panoramia the show is a production of shrug content a podcast studio based in minnesota you can learn more about us at shrugcontent.com. Special thanks to SK Coffee, our presenting sponsor. You can learn more about them at skcoffeeplease.com. If you live around the Twin Cities, ping me. I'll take you there myself. First cup is on me. You can connect with the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Send us feedback, guest ideas, and funny TikToks at connectattruckcontent.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.